We just recorded episode four of Great Minds with Lost and Found. I'm Joel Kaskinen, your host, and I had the privilege of interviewing Michaela Sieber, the CEO of South Dakota Urban Indian Health. We talked about the work that they are doing, how we as lay people and community members can support the tribal nations and their fight against COVID and access and support for mental health in their areas. We talked about her being honored as our 2021 Spirit of Resilience Award recipient and all of the work that she's doing, especially with COVID response on the reservations and with our tribal nations. If you would like to connect with Michaela, you can find her at sduih.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Great Minds, the podcast hosted by Lost and Found. This is Joel Kaskinen, your host and community engagement coordinator for the organization, and I'm sitting across from Michaela Sieber, the CEO of South Dakota Urban Indian Health. Michaela, I'm just going to start by having you introduce yourself and how you got started in the world of mental health, in the world of healthcare in general, and kind of your connection to your work and then what um, you do at your work, just so our listeners have a brief intro to that. All right. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Michaela Sieber. Uh, the pronouns I use are she, her, and hers. Uh, I'm originally from Sisseton, South Dakota, and that's where I'm a tribal member, the Sisseton Wapitanoyate. I... Uh, have lived in Sioux Falls for like 10-ish years now. Um, I have a background in public health, uh, which is really probably where I got started um, working in the healthcare field and thinking about mental health and how it intersects with with everything that we do. I have a background in research and working with tribal communities, but most recently stepped into the role of CE, CEO at South Dakota Urban Indian Health of February of this year. And you know, I just, there was, I always saw myself in healthcare. I didn't, I never thought I'd be in a position like this at my age. Um, but it's been amazing. And I think that once you're in a position like this, you can see how easy it actually is to impact positively the mental health of people around you. So um, I'm learning every day, but honestly, I've probably been thinking about being in healthcare and thinking about mental health since I was young and, and dealt with my own issues. So it's, amazing to be in this position where I can actually make a direct impact on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is something that I've been hearing quite often um, with my guests is that you are interested in mental health or physical health because of some lived experiences. So I'm just mm -hmm. curious, when did this all kind of start to shape for, uh, take shape for you? Um, you mentioned childhood, but mm -hmm. you know, for me, I didn't even really know what mental health was, let alone, I mean, like physical health mm -hmm. stuff we learned like in fifth grade or whatever. But, yeah. you know, when it, when it comes to mental health, when did you really kind of know what mental health was? And then um, when, when did this take shape for you and wanting to work in healthcare? Uh, I've always wanted to work in healthcare, like honestly, since I was in middle school. But mental health, I can't say I actually related it to any of the experiences I had until I was in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And we were, um, it was for one of my public health classes. We were talking about epigenetics and how, um, you know, the things that happened to our grandparents and our grandparents' grandparents can impact our DNA today. And so that started putting pieces together for me. Um, I've always had anxiety and, and I just never knew that's what it was, those feelings I was feeling until I started to put those things together. I've had hypertension since I was in high school, which is rarely abnormal for someone when you're 16 to get diagnosed with that. Um, there's no reason, but I do think it's from those lived experiences of 
the people that came before me and just how mm -hmm. it shaped um, into changing my DNA. I, I always respected mental health, but just never thought I needed to think about it. Yeah. Um, kind of grew up knowing that it was something you dealt with on your own and you didn't talk about it. Uh, but I did like have some panic attacks in 2018. There was a lot of stressors going on in my life um, and started my anxiety med like that year. And it just showed me how important it is to ask for that help. Mm -hmm. And it's made the world of difference. And I'm not shy like most people aren't to talk about the help that they get, even if it's synthetic um, dopamine or serotonin. So, yeah, and looking back, it makes so much sense. But at the time, I just I didn't know what how to name those things that were going on. So yeah, definitely. I love that you talk about um, your history and your ancestry um, because that's one piece that I wanted to get into today. Um, we talk systems on this podcast and you being a tribal member um, and working in um, the UIH, um, you know, you obviously are connected to ancestry and connected mm -hmm. to tribal and native and indigenous cultures. Um, so I guess from your perspective, as someone who's lived that and who has ancestry who've lived it, what does that look like um, for the tribal nations when it comes to mental health and services, mm -hmm. support, resources, accessibility? Because from an outside perspective, that's something that I would say from a systems approach that we definitely need to be increasing mm -hmm. support for. Yeah, you know, and I, I alluded to this, but growing up, and this isn't uncommon for, for Native folks talking about things like this, isn't what you're supposed to do. You know, I, I remember talking to one of our psychiatrists up in Siston at the IHS there, and it was for a class. I was just interviewing her, and she was telling me stories about how grandmas would bring their uh, grandkids in and they were talking about depression and suicide and the grandparents would just say, well, knock it off. Don't feel mm -hmm. like that. Um, and that's, I think, how most of us have grown up. And now it's finally coming to the forefront that it's something we need to talk about. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're such a long way from having those systems be supportive. There's very little mental health care accessible to people who are in the reservations. Mm -hmm. There might be one or two like in Sisseton, to social workers, therapists for um, our service area, which we have, you know, over 10,000 tribal members um, that could potentially go use that service area. So that's not enough. Um, no. There, you know, it's just, it's so hard to get people to go back to work in those systems. They don't understand it. If they do try it, it's, it's just too hard and they leave. So there's a lot of turnover. Uh, that looks very different in urban areas though, because there are more therapists. Um, the things that happen there, though, are insurance and, and paying for it. That's more of the barrier. Back home, it's um, there's just not enough. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, definitely sheds some light um, on that um, world and that experience. Um, like I said, that's not my own lived mm -hmm. experience. Um, I'm not tribal. I'm not indigenous. And so um, even, you know, I'm from a small town with mm -hmm. not a lot of resources, but I, that's different than living on a reservation or yeah. being a tribal member. Um, you know, as a white man, I have so much privilege. And so, again, that's part of why I want to talk about this stuff mm -hmm. on this podcast is, you know, I have a platform and I have a voice to use and so do you as a CEO. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I guess that I just think it's really powerful to be sharing these messages. Mm -hmm. But um, so 
I want to jump into a little bit more about what the Urban Indian Health does mm-hmm. um, and the resources and services that you all provide um, and then how we can partner with you all or, mm-hmm. you know, things that you think that you're doing really well, things that you would like to fill gaps for, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Urban Indian Health, uh, we are, we're, I don't even know where to start. So we're a part of the Indian Health Service, but not really. We don't give free services. You know, we're not fully funded like they are. We have two clinics, though, one in Sioux Falls and one in Pierre. We've been around since 1977. Um, In both clinics, we have the full range of behavioral health services, which includes mental health and substance use. Mm -hmm. Um, We have our medical services, you know, just your your traditional primary care role. We don't have uh, x-ray. We don't, we can't do a lot of advanced things. So it's a lot of triaging and really just meeting people where they're at. Uh, most of our folks who come don't have insurance and can't go out to a referral, like if we refer them on. So it's a lot of triaging and, and just helping them get what they need at that time to, to be safe and get by. We also have a cultural health department, uh, which you know, it's so needed here during the pandemic. We were running out of sage and sweetgrass and cedar, which we hand out for free to anyone. Uh, but that was what our folks were relying on throughout the pandemic to, sure. to supplement, um, you know, any medications they were receiving, but also to cope during that. And it still is a stressful time. Um, so we have, you know, our full counseling team available. And you know, something unique is we can see everybody regardless of race, so like IHSs, they can only see Native folks who are el- mm-hmm. or folks who are eligible for those services. We we can see anyone as an FQHC. So that's really, okay. um, you know, really something that I think benefits everybody because of the way we think about healthcare and holistic health. And um, we can run and grab a counselor if someone is in crisis and they come in for something else um, and we can go get them and bring them in. I think what we're doing really well at Urban uh, first starts with our employees. Um, you, you're hearing nonstop about healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers who are struggling right now um, because of the stressors of dealing with the pandemic. So oh, yeah. at Urban, we are giving everyone wellness days to utilize. Um, so a paid full day uh, every month to just take off. That doesn't come out from their PTO. Our staff, you know, they're able to use that time to take for themselves and be well um, and do what they need to do to take care of themselves, which impacts our patients and they're getting better care because mm-hmm. our staff are, are feeling better and taking care of themselves. So that's like one of the first things that, that I implemented because how I don't know how else to help our staff besides just giving them that time. There's not a lot of other things we can really do. Uh, we raised our minimum wage to $22 an hour, which, amazing, you know, a lot of things I'm reading, you know, people can go to therapy, they can do all this stuff, but poverty is really what is going to impact them the most. If they don't have to deal with poverty and thinking about paying bills and eating, then they're going to show up better in their workplace and in, in life. So that has like increased employee morale 10 times like that single act alone. That was back in May when we implemented that. Wow. So anyone, regardless of what position they start at, we're hiring for a housekeeper right now. They're going to get $22 an hour uh, to come in and take care of, of the things that need to be taken care of. Uh, we just raised wages overall. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but money is, is what's going to make people happy and able to take care of themselves and, and, we just have a great team atmosphere there. And I think starting to take care of your staff first is how you're going to better impact 
your um, patients that come in, we also implemented a policy where staff can bring their kids to work. So we have babies at work every day um, and their parents don't have to worry about them being exposed to COVID at daycare. Um, Mm -hmm. Kids, if they're, you know, need to come in after school, they can come in and it's just decreasing that stress of our parents worrying about their kids every day and having access to take care of them and just the freedom if they need to take off from work, they could use a wellness day, you know, if their kid's sick or we added sick leave and COVID leave, you know, are doing all these things to to gear up for the the COVID, you know, thing spike that's going to happen very soon. Yeah. And it's already happening. So, you know, those are a few things that have happened that really bleed into the patient care that we're providing. Uh, we're just partnering, too, with a whole bunch of different organizations in Sioux Falls to provide resources for our patients. The biggest thing is just their basic needs are not being met. Mm-hmm. They don't have socks. They don't have tampons or pads, dish soap, laundry soap. Like those are things that we don't, we probably all take for granted, but it's just one piece to help our folks who come in be well. So we're doing a lot of different things to try to just get basic needs met for patients. That's amazing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the basic needs being met and um, the systems, you know, I, I'm going to continue saying that word, but, um, there's so many systems in place that are supposed to be helping people. And so oftentimes the systems that are in place are broken. And so they're the things that often cause harm. Um, and so when it comes to basic needs, I'm thinking about, you know, healthcare systems, obviously, like yours, um, you know, I'm thinking foster care systems, I'm thinking jail systems and law enforcement, um, you know, all of that obviously contributes to mental well-being. Um, mm-hmm. If they if they don't have access to safe living places or to food mm-hmm. or to basic needs or whatever, of course, they're going to be worse off mentally and mm-hmm. physically. So I'm just, I'm thinking about that. And um, is there any like needs that you would like to fill, whether mm-hmm. it's at Urban or within the, you know, tribal nations um, that, you know, a system can be, can bridge that? Mm-hmm. So many. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking back to earlier this summer, maybe late spring, I often was filling out filling at the front desk when we were short-staffed because we, you know, were hiring and it was a whole mess. But I was filling in at the front desk and this story always sticks with me and um, just shows the gap in our system. So uh, I received a call. A person just got out of jail. She didn't live here. Um, they gave her a seven-day supply of her two anxiety and depression meds that they started her on. And then told her after those seven days to figure, she had to figure it out on her own. She didn't have insurance. She had no cash. Wow. Um, How is that helpful for anyone? You know, it's basically could have resulted in her ending up back in jail. Because if she would have gone without those meds, you know, her life could have spiraled right out Mm -hmm. of control. Mm -hmm. So that was just obviously a big gap. How can you expect anyone to find enough money to pay for their meds with no insurance in seven days? So... Thankfully, we were able to help her out. We have some programs set up with pharmacies um, to support people like that. But we that's one of the biggest things is paying for medications is, sure. is the biggest need we see at Urban and probably other healthcare clinics do too. You know, people having to go months without their insulin because they can't afford it. What does that lead to? Yeah. You know, all of these different things um, could be solved with, with money, <laughs> to be honest. Like, that's what we're finding. So we're mm-hmm. accepting donations mm-hmm. 
to put toward medications for patients. We have pharmacies that give us discounted prices and that's what we'll, you know, continue to do, but that's a really big need. And also filling that gap, like that could have easily been figured out before she was released if they would have connected her with us. You know, she was native, so the obvious place would be to connect her with us. And we could have, you know, not scrambled and she was Mm -hmm. almost out. And it was a whole thing. It didn't have to be. You know, she was coming out of jail, focusing on her sobriety, living in um, a transitional home, like starting a job in a few weeks. But this could have easily derailed all of that. So. That's a story that always sticks with me because it seemed so simple. Um, it didn't have to be that way. Wow. So there's lots of like pipelines and avenues that we can, you know, fill in, whether it's mm-hmm. just creating programs that are partnerships between mm-hmm. places like urban and places like pharmacies or, you know, what have you. I think that there's plenty of ways that we can do that and, you know, setting up grant funding and Mm -hmm. partnerships with people that have the money and the means to be able to supply those um, demands, I think, are that that's an easy place to Mm -hmm. start, you know, but obviously there's so much more. Um, Totally switching gears here. I want to bring it back to COVID. You've referenced Mm -hmm. that a couple of times. You're wearing a mask right now. You have a policy in place at Urban that whenever you're doing work stuff, you're wearing the mask, Mm -hmm. you know. What is that? How has that impacted the Native populations? Mm -hmm. I mean, at at large, obviously, in my Mm -hmm. work in mental health education and suicide prevention, I'm seeing the numbers are skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. But you would be the expert or an expert when it comes to Native health, mental Mm -hmm. health during the last two years. Yeah. What is that looking like? And what has the impact been there? It's been bad. Um, I just saw a report come out that the Native population has the highest death rate in COVID uh, by a long shot. And that's not surprising to me. We have limited healthcare resources mm-hmm. to begin with and to start pushing those systems to their brink. It's no wonder, you know, we have the highest death rate. Yeah. We also have the highest vaccination rate, though, which is amazing. Uh, but overall, it's been really hard. Our mental health calls that we're getting are increasing at both clinics. We have wait lists that are weeks long, which doesn't help anyone. Um, You know, people, traumas are are coming back out while they were staying home and not around their support system, or or they had to stay with somebody who, Mm -hmm. you know, was just increasing those uh, anxiety or depression or substance use. We're just seeing it all now. We're filled. My counselors are booked all day, every day. Uh, with all types of folks who are coming in needing help. And it's been bad. It's been really bad for our Native folks. Um, They're catching, like, you know, it's not abnormal to see four generations of a family living together in one home back on the reservation and even here in town. So one person gets sick, the whole family gets sick. And, you know, I know so many people who passed away back home from COVID and they didn't take it seriously right away for whatever reason. Um, And... You know, which isn't totally unexpected with the history between the U.S. government and Native folks and that trust. And it's just all kind of brought out the gaps that we knew were there, but there's a spotlight on them now. Like, we're doing the work, though. We're getting even non-Native folks vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We're working really hard to just, we get a non-Native person vaccinated, that's going to benefit our Native folks in the end. So. You know, it's been really bad, but it's just shown how easy it is for us to come together and take care of anyone who we consider our Oyate or our group of people around us. Like we're ta- we're taking them in and we're doing it. And you can see that across Indian country. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, I've been trying to follow those the the numbers, the data points. And so my brother used to live and teach on the Navajo reservation. Mm-hmm. And while that's not Oyate, you know, it's not South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um I, I learned a lot just from being out there and, you know, like experiencing that. And I went and visited quite a few times mm-hmm. and we only lived a couple of hours apart. So it was easy. But mm-hmm. I I guess my eyes were opened to that world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Indian country, living on the reservations is way different than living in Sioux Falls or mm-hmm. living in wherever, you know, Minneapolis yeah. or anywhere else. Um, it's just so different. And the the access to things is so much less. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like having four generations of people living mm-hmm. under one roof is not uncommon whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess I've been trying to stay in touch with that stuff as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So as someone who is an outsider or as someone who is a layperson, not as educated in, you know, the resources, in the support networks, in the data mm-hmm. that is, you know, making up Oyate or other Indian nations, what can I do? What can we do to help support that, to, you know, put you all in touch with better resources? Mm-hmm. What's what's something that we can do? Yeah, the one of the biggest things that has helped urban, um, so South Dakota Urban Indian Health, uh, is our social media, honestly, uh, we've been getting help so much just by using our voice on social media. And like Twitter has taken some of my tweets like so far where I've never imagined them reaching. And we've gotten donations through that, you know, following those urban organization social medias or even tribal social medias and just staying, um, you know, abreast of the situations. Mm-hmm. We're all doing community outreach like that. Like there's a group in Rapid City who I forget what they call themselves, but they basically it's a group of native women who just get together and cook and take those foods to people who are quarantined. They have COVID or whatever. So they'll give like 40 meals a week or something like that. And you probably don't know about that. And a lot of people probably don't. And there's ways to donate to that. So, you know, just Googling, (laughs) following on social media, like you can go down some rabbit holes and follow, follow me and I could, you know, show you some people, but there's so many unofficial groups like that that are taking charge and taking care of our people and so that's probably the biggest way is finding those little groups and you know it's not going to be the big organizations that are going to make the most direct impact Mm -hmm. with this work it's those people on the ground doing things well and I personally believe change happens on on the ground Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's the grassroots efforts that make the changes Mm -hmm. so I mean I'm going to follow you immediately (laughs) after this. I'm going to make sure I have all of those resources so that way I can follow. And, you know, I run Lost and Found Social. Mm. And so by, you know, having that platform in my hands, Mm -hmm. you know, and being able to follow these voices and share those voices, then we can put it out to our community as well and our networks. And so I think if that's the best and easiest way to help you all out, I'm, I'm going to use my platform yeah, to do that. Absolutely. I think it is. That's how we've seen the the most positive effects actually is, is just that sh- story being shared, shared far and wide. Yeah. Um, I think that is the same for most Indian organizations too, because they know they're, they're doing the grassroots things. They're not, you know, this big organization or big entity like mm-hmm. Indian health services, you know, you're giving and following people who are on the ground telling you what's going on and what they need to help or what they need from you to help them. So yeah. that's probably the best way to get started, honestly. Okay. Well, that's easy. We can absolutely yep. do that. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Um, 
what uh, what else can we be doing? Is there anything that stands out like other than just sharing your posts on social mm-hmm. and connecting with your organizations and resources? And again, I'm just trying to connect mm-hmm. the dots here so that way we as a community can in- enact change. Yeah. So just, you know, you said this already, but connecting people with Indian organizations is the is the best way too because you know for example we are very small but mm-hmm. if a larger organization were to partner with us we could be making an even bigger impact because sure. we're in the community we know what the community needs and maybe you know those higher ups at some of the other healthcare systems in our area don't know that they're very far removed so you know honestly just educating yourselves on on what it means to be native and uh, what what's going on in your community and staying following those, those pieces of data and the news that comes out. Um, you know, we're always looking for partners and our, on our wish list is to hire two more counselors at Sioux, in the Sioux Falls clinic, yeah. because we need it. We, we have no more room in our cups. We need some more help. So, you know, that's what we'll be focused on in the next few months is fundraising and writing grants to get people the help that they need. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, let us know how we can partner with y'all and if we can push Definitely. that out later. Yeah. Um, please keep us connected. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to switch gears once again. Um, so we, I don't think many of people that are listening to this podcast know yet, but we just recently awarded you the mm-hmm. Spirit of Resilience Award, which is our, you're the second annual recipient. Um, we just started this last year, um, but Lost and Found has an award that we're giving out to people that we partner with, people that we work with, people that are out in our communities, the grassroots, boots on the ground, mm-hmm. people that are making change and who are putting in the good work. Um, and we just awarded you that. Mm-hmm. Your whole team, or <laughs> most of them anyway, mm-hmm. were at our event where we, you know, provided you and awarded you that um that well, I guess we still don't have the award, but we we <laughs> we recognized you anyway. We will get you that award as soon as we've got it. But um it's just I was amazed. I was blown away when we saw basically your whole team Mm -hmm. was there. What does that mean to you to have received the Spirit of Resilience Award? Mm -hmm. What does resilience mean to you? And then to be sharing that with your community. What, how does that make you feel? It was an amazing night. First of all, like that was just, I didn't, I don't know. I did expect, but I didn't expect all of them to be there. Um, I, I just, I was surprised and just really honored to, to be recognized in that way. Cause there are so many people doing work in this space. And I do think we've done a really good job at the work around COVID and our response to COVID. Mm-hmm. So it was really amazing to be recognized in that way. And I remember that night, I, I just actually written my speech that same day. Um, but I talked about, you know, resilient resilience and um, kind of relating it back to my mom's mom um, who passed away when I was five, but she survived two boarding schools in South Dakota. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, there's so much coming out about the boarding school experience yeah. that many people didn't know. But of course, we all knew. But just to think, you know, that's not that far removed from me. That's she could still be alive today. And, you know. So it's it's just so interesting that it was so close to home and some people didn't realize that. But I talked about um, the resilience it took for her to come out of that and still live her life and have kids and, you know, have 10 kids. I think I said nine that night and my mom yelled at me afterward because it was 10 <laughs> kids. I even counted twice. But so she had 10, 10 kids after that. And, wow, wow. Um, you know, 
despite the trauma that she experienced and, and, you know, those things that were passed on to us, we also got that piece of her resilience passed down to us too, coming out of that and being the person she was and, and still giving life to 10 people. And, you know, now hundreds of cousins Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. later, you know, we're all struggling with different traumas, but also that resilience passed along to all of us too. And so I think about her and all of the other boarding school survivors that still came out of that awful experience and are still living today um, and just trying to correct what was done wrong to them and passed on a lot of things to the their their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids. Like it's going to keep going on and on. Yeah. Um, but that's what it means to me is to just come out of that situation and exist and keep living and, and give that resilience to other folks around you, even if you're still experiencing a lot of trauma um, in your life. Yeah. Wow. I mean, talk about the generational trauma that you had referenced earlier and mm-hmm. the, the ancestral, you know, uh, what was the word you called it? Epigenetics? Epigenetics. Epigenetics, yep. you know, um, you know, the, the passing of those traits based on their mm-hmm. traumas and lived experiences. I, I mean, I think that's so real. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's so close to you and it's so close to home. And many of us don't know that that's happening. So that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that yeah. story about your grandmother. And thanks for sharing what resilience means to you. And thanks for being a huge part of our community when mm-hmm. it comes to building resilience um, here in this area. And especially for the, the tribal nations, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing incredible work. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, due to time here, I think we're getting close. Um, I just want to end by kind of asking where we can find your work. Mm -hmm. Um, so plug, you know, where we can get connected to Urban Indian Health. And then Mm -hmm. also if there is a piece of advice that you would give to someone who, I mean, we've already said this multiple times today, but anyone who wants to just get involved and, um, support you and Mm -hmm. be able to enact some positive change, you know, what's one piece of advice that you'd give them? So Urban has a Facebook, a Twitter, and an Instagram, and uh, searchable if you just type in South Dakota Urban Indian Health. We actually just got our Twitter back under our control because um, people who had the pa- – anyway, we have it back. Um, my Twitter is Michaela MPH, and I do tweet a lot about stuff that's going on at Urban and COVID, the COVID situation, and how we're responding Definitely. to it. So. Um, I welcome people to ask questions there. I've I received so many direct messages from people like I have someone who needs help here. Can you help them? And like we've so many connections that way. So social media mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. been great. Um, we have a calendar of events. We have a website. So sduih.org. Uh, our calendar calendar of events is updated there and on Facebook. But anyone can come to any of our events. I think that's a really good way to get involved and see how to further our mission is come to those community events. Even, you know, we have a an Odawan or singing group on Wednesdays. That's not just for Native people. Uh. It's at Sherman Park. Anyone can come and, and start experiencing that. And then um, coming by any time to talk to me is also a great way to, to get involved. We're over by the Premier Center. Mm-hmm. Our doors are open. We do have a mask policy, but, you know, we have a trading post there, which is where we take donations and people can come and take what they need. So if people want to drop off donations, they can do that too. But, you know, honestly, reaching out on social media is probably the best way to figure out where to connect and how to help. Great. Awesome. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for being here. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing your story, for yeah, being a champion <laughs> of health, of mental health, of uh, 
uh, you know, tribal nations and Indian country, you are doing the work. You you spend some time in the queer space too. I just think mm-hmm. that you're doing incredible work for so many different populations. And I just thank you. And we're so, so proud to have been awarding you this this um, this great recognition. So they just thank you. And thanks again yeah. for being on today. No, thank you. And Lost and Found's going in such a great direction. I can't wait to to get involved more with y'all. And yeah. I, don't know, I think there are so many ways that we could partner together. But oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah, I'm thankful for the work y'all are doing. It's been awesome. Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you would like to listen to us more, please subscribe, rate, and review and share us with your friends. Thanks so much.